All right. Okay, pull up a seat. Get your Bibles out. You are a friendly bunch. It's all hard to get you stopped when I get you started, but that's my fault. Hey, pull out your outlines, pull out your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 1. My name is Pastor Dale. We're going to do something a little different today. We're going to change it up. I want to use the, uh, normally we take about 40 minutes or so to explore the scriptures, and we're going to be doing that for a good 40 minutes, but we're going to cut it in two pieces. We're going to look at the Word for a while, and then we're going to throw it open for text questions. You can text in any question you want to ask, especially focused on this final series that we, or the series we're wrapping up today from Romans chapter 1. We've been dealing with a lot of tough stuff, and uh, I just think truth is great. And I love talking about it, but sometimes you think, oh, wow, I wish I could stop him and ask this question. Well, today's your chance to do that. So feel free to be texting questions in uh, even as I speak. The same number that was up on the screen earlier, we'll put it back up in a few minutes. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much. Thank you that you give us the privilege of understanding uh, the truth about God, the truth about Jesus. Thank you for the life he gives us. Thank you for the chance he gives us not just to know him, but then to uh, take him uh, into the culture that needs him desperately. So I pray that as we study the culture a little further this morning and focus on the solution that you would uh, give us insight. Thank you for your word that is so clear. And we love you. So teach us as your people in Christ's name. Amen. We've been in a series called The Exchange, The Choices Reshaping Our Culture. It's interesting that you get a series like this, you begin to listen to the news a little differently than you do when you're not in this series. You know, one of the things that I noticed this week was how uh, easy it is to come up with illustrations that are not just current, but this week. Even as I listened to the news this week, there were two lead stories, one broke on Tuesday, one broke on Wednesday or Thursday, that directly speak to the changing aspect of our culture. Monday's Sports Illustrated, uh, one of my favorite theological journals, um, came out. That was a joke. Okay, yeah. And when Monday's edition of of SI came out, uh, the lead story was Jason Collins' story. It's been all through the news. Jason Collins, uh, player for the Boston Celtics, Um, NBA player became the first professional athlete who is active uh, while active in one of the four major sports to declare himself gay. It was interesting to see the response of the culture. Uh, It was interesting to see the culture virtually uh, hail Jason as uh, as a hero. Uh, the language used, the description used, compared him to Jackie Robinson, the famous baseball player who uh, was the first African-American to break into professional baseball. And the ridicule that he uh, encountered as he did that. Uh, And uh, this was viewed as that kind of a barrier-breaking kind of an event in the culture. It's interesting that um, perhaps the biggest controversy of all this week was when an ESPN commentator who was in a panel directly asked, so what do you think about Jason and his lifestyle as a gay athlete? 
Uh, and when this commentator for ESPN, who is known and has declared in the past his Christian convictions, simply said in a very kind tone, not a hateful tone at all, that, well, he personally, he personally uh, could not endorse that lifestyle because he does feel that that lifestyle is sin. Because as a follower of Jesus and the scriptures, he sees that as a clear, as a clear thing. But he went on to say, but it's no different than the other sins that I'm also not comfortable with of MBA or professional athletes sleeping around on their wife or sleeping around outside of marriage as a, as a routine with multiple partners. Uh, that commentator was blasted by the media. There were calls for his being fired. Um, he was called hateful. He was called homophobic. Uh, all because he simply would not endorse Jason Collins' lifestyle. Uh, my intent is not to uh, ridicule Jason at all. I hurt for Jason. Uh, I hurt for the fact that Jason is dealing with an area of his life in which he is very confused and trying to figure out his own sexual orientation and how to express his sexuality in life. Uh, Jason's... Um, had an eight-year, eight to nine-year relationship with a young lady that he lived with but did not marry and broke off the wedding plans right before the wedding, and it made the news in, 19, in, in 2009, and, and now uh, has declared himself gay. But he's portrayed today in the media and was esteemed for his courage by the President of the United States all the way down. Virtually everyone. Is this the moral hero? A little later, the news broke that the government had uh, approved the morning-after pill, uh, that now the morning-after pill would be available. Uh, it used to be illegal and not available at all, uh, because if you're not familiar with it, it's a pill that you can take one to five days after uh, having sex, and if you have unprotected sex and you're concerned about pregnancy, it will terminate that uh, pregnancy in the very first days. Uh, the pill was not legal. The pill was then made legal. Then the pill was legal by prescription only. Um, the administration actually was recommending, or the FDA was recommending, that the pill be available only for uh, women 17 or older, and they had to have a prescription. If you were younger than that, you had to have a prescription. Uh, it was interesting that a federal judge this week actually ruled that that was inappropriate. Not that the pill is inappropriate, but he ruled that it was inappropriate to limit the access of the pill to any girl that wants it of any age. So the issue in the courts right now is whether or not your 12, 13, 14-year-old daughters uh, or girls or friends uh, could have access to that across the counter just as they could go in and buy a bottle of aspirin. And the basis of that federal judge's declaration was this, and I'll give a direct quote from him. He said that it's not the job of the FDA to play the moral policeman of society. In other words, if this pill doesn't harm that girl, she's as entitled to it as she is an aspirin. At the same time, our culture won't let a school dispense an aspirin to our children without written permission from the parents. But yet now, if this law indeed stands, and this judge's opinion stands, uh, the same young girls could have access to this pill that will terminate a pregnancy with no one's permission. 
You see, our culture is searching for some moral fiber. Our culture is searching to try to understand what's right, what's wrong, what should we do, what should we not do, what should be legal, what should be illegal. And in the midst of that, I want you to see that what we've been studying in Romans 1 is this. That confusion is rooted in a culture stepping away from God. When a culture steps away from God, steps away from the belief that there is a moral God who is the God of the universe, our creator, who has created us and who, and who is the source of morality, who's the source of truth about right and wrong. When the culture decides that there is no God, so it's up to the culture to decide, it's pretty much anything goes. And as that culture goes downhill, we've seen the effect of that as we studied Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, and we saw the progression. If you're new with us this morning, I would encourage you to go back the last four weeks and listen to the four messages in order, because we understand that as a culture moves away from God, the tendency is for that culture to become increasingly um, promiscuous in the area of sexuality, to endorse homosexuality, and then even to endorse basic form of cultural chaos where whatever you want to believe is fine and whatever you want to do is fine. And the culture begins, we learned last week, to not only allow certain sinful behaviors to exist, but not just allow it, but to endorse and encourage it. And I really think that's where we are. Now, as followers of Jesus, most of these beliefs that we're talking about are not beliefs that we would own for ourselves. But the question is, how do you live in the culture? And the first step is to understand why the culture thinks the way it thinks. The second step is to understand, so what in the world can we offer the culture if we've got to live in it as a minority opinion? Because I really believe that's where we are in our Christian world today, in our world today, our culture, that is, our American culture today, is I really believe that we're living in a post-Christian America in which you know the standard views uh, of uh, of the scriptures and that Jesus would teach, I think, are no longer the views of the culture. So how do you live in that culture? And more importantly today, I want to talk briefly about what do we offer that culture? What hope do we have for ourselves and for that culture? I want you to listen to the hope that the Apostle Paul lays out, because before he began to unpack the the decline of a culture into moral decline, he talked about what he had to offer. Listen to the word of God. Pick it up with me. I'm going to read beginning in verse 14. Paul says this, For I am under obligation, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to those of you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first, also to the Greek. For from it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Jesus says in short, or the scriptures say in short, the solution for today's world is not church. The solution is the gospel. And we need to make a distinction there because as much as I'm a church guy and I love the church, I, I serve in the church, I think the church is the vehicle for delivering that gospel. So I'm huge on the value of God's church. That the answer to the culture is not so much the church. It's not to try to get the culture to agree on moral issues with the church. It's not to try to change their thinking about homosexuality or heterosexuality or any other issue. That the issue is that the thing that Paul was saying was, wow, The culture is so confused, so I'm so excited to come talk to you about the gospel. 
So let me unpack for you a very brief description of the gospel. I want to give you an idea of what I think he means by that, and then we're going to field some questions. So be thinking, if you have questions about anything in this series, get ready to text them in or even begin to do so as I teach. Number one, the gospel is good news. Okay? Underline that. The gospel is good news. It's the very meaning of the word, the very Greek term itself, of evangelion. It's it's 108 times used in the New Testament. It's translated good news or good tidings. You know, it is in essence a very simple word. It's not really meant to be a technical term. It's that we got good news for you. Now, that good news is important, and that is that we recognize that when we talk about sharing the gospel with the people in our culture who don't agree with us, perhaps, that we're sharing good news, not bad news. Okay, can you get that? If you learn nothing else today, it's that. The gospel, is it good or bad? Answer? Good. Now, why is it good? It's good because the second thing, and that is the gospel is the Jesus story. You know, we could break down the gospel, and some people say the gospel is this and that, and you have a little formula, it's this plus this plus this equals gospel. You know, I don't want to do that. It's, 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 it's more than that. The gospel is more than just a formula. The gospel is the story of Jesus. The gospel is the story of Jesus. I was actually online, I can't remember, forgive me, uh, it was either Piper or John Piper or Tim, Tim Keller. One, one of those two guys just tweeted in the last couple days that, you know, when you think about it, in essence... The Bible is the gospel story. It's just the long version, okay? That the gospel is really the whole glorious story of Jesus Christ. Uh, I know I wouldn't have time to expound this in detail, so I've given you in your outline, if you pull out your outline and look at it, in a box, I've given you the highlights of what I mean by the Jesus story. It's the greatest story. It's the story of his birth, his death for our sins on the cross, and his resurrection to prove that, that he did indeed accomplish what he came to do. In other words, that God the Father accepted him as payment for our sin. And that's proven by the fact he's resurrected from the dead. People don't do that, okay? Jesus did. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'll read just a few verses. 1 Corinthians 15, I'll read it to you. It says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you, and which you received, and in which you stand, and by which you are saved. In other words, you believed it, you stand in it, and it's still working in your life. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and that is this. Here's his gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised on the third day just according to the scriptures. In other words, it was predicted. And that he appeared to Peter, to Cephas, and then to the 12 disciples. And and after that, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. In other words, that this is irrefutable, that history, this really happened. This is not just a myth. This is not just a religious idea. Jesus is the real deal. He was who he said he was. He came. He died on the cross for your sins. He really died, was really buried, and he really rose again. He's alive. And that's good news. That is good news. Why is that good news? It's good news because the gospel is about Jesus offering the ultimate exchange of all time. That is that he exchanged my sin for his righteousness. Uh, Romans 1.17 puts it this way. Uh, It says that, uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed 
to be, that is, from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous man lives by faith, shall live by faith. There's a great exchange described in the Bible. It's in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I've given you the reference in your outline. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, says, For Christ, who knew no sin, okay, he was sinless, he became sin on our behalf. He took our sin upon himself. He took our sin upon himself on the cross. He died on the cross for our sin. He took our sin upon himself so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, there is the ultimate great exchange. Jesus says, here's the deal, man. Your sin is like a big credit card bill. And you've racked up, every time you sin, you owe another 100 bucks on your bill. Boom, 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 boom. We've got a big bill, right? And Jesus says, I'm going to die on the cross for you. And, I'm, and here's what I did. You give me all the guilt of your sin, and I'm going to take it from you. Now, that would reduce your credit card bill to what? Answer? Zero. Okay, now that's not the gospel. That's only part of it. Because he says he did that that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. In other words, Jesus did an exchange. He took all of our debt and paid it off. And then all of the righteousness of Jesus. Now picture that. All of the righteousness, the sinlessness, the the, the perfection, the holiness of Jesus was given to our account. It's as if, if we're talking money, we owed a million bucks on our credit card. Jesus takes our million-dollar debt and pays it off. And then, and then you go to check your card, and it says you have a, not just a zero balance, you have a credit on your credit card. In other words, you have a positive credit, not a negative one, of a, of a, of a zillion dollars. Let me just round it up, okay? Okay, so you, know, you got a zillion dollars in your bank account. So Jesus takes all of your debt, pays it off. He gives you his righteousness. Now, what that means is when you stand in the presence of God, and because we all still sin, I still sin. Jason Collins sins, you sin, everybody sins. So the reality is everyone sins. No one goes to heaven for being good. No one goes to hell for being bad. You need to realize that. The issue is Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross and whether you've put your faith in him. And the reality is, he says, it's all a faith thing. Faith in Christ is the thing, is at the heart of the gospel. So this great exchange takes place where, wow, God relates to me as his child. Remember, Jesus was the son of God. He relates to me as if I'm his child. I'm I'm a co-heir with Christ. I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ credited to my life and my account. In other words, that's how deeply I am loved and I'm secure in that love for that reason. Now, I could go on to more. There's more good news in the gospel, though, because Jesus doesn't just save us. He sanctifies us, meaning Jesus comes to indwell us. He lives in me and he sets me free to follow him. Romans chapter 6, 4 through 7 is the passage. I'm not going to read it, but I'll paraphrase it for sake of time. But I've given you the reference. Read it this week, okay? It says this. It says, hey, we who have come to to know Christ, we have died with Christ, been buried with Christ, we've been resurrected with Christ to newness of life so that we might walk in newness of life that sin might no longer be our master. Clearly says in Scripture, that there is no sin that Jesus Christ allows to remain as our master. Now you say, yeah, but Dale, what about people that struggle with areas of addiction and sexuality issues? And yeah, there may be very deeply ingrained sinful patterns and thoughts and issues that we got to unpack and process with Christ. But the reality is this, according to the word that I believe, 
And if you're into the book, the scriptures, there is no sin that is master over you. So my message to Jason Collins would be simply this. God loves you, and he wants to forgive you, but he also wants to give you freedom. And the gospel contains both. The gospel contains both the ability to forgive our sin, but also to set us free to walk and follow Christ. Not because we're good at it, but because Christ lives in me. So Christ lives his life now through me and in me and transforms me to be able to, uh, to live like Christ. What a great deal. So I have him living in me. The gospel is part of that. The gospel teaches me that Jesus continues to intercede for me. He's like my 24-7 defense attorney. Romans chapter 8 says, Nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. So I am secure in his love, which means, by the way, the next thing, I'm secure forever. The gospel secures me forever for eternity. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, Romans 8, 11. It says that if my soul is now alive in Christ, someday, because of Christ, my body will also be resurrected to newness of life. I'll have a spiritual resurrected body, free of sin, free of death, free of pain, that I'm going to live in forever. How cool is that? Is this good news? Good. You should be excited about that. See, we just, as Christians, we just get too bored with this truth. Because we grew up, oh, 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 yeah. So instead of living life every day fearful that someday I don't know what's going to happen when I die, I don't know if God's going to reject me or let me in, and, and, and I don't know what my future is, I don't know what my eternity is, the gospel takes care of all of it. He even transfers me to live as a part of his kingdom, which is forever and ever. So the gospel is very, very cool. <laughs> the gospel is good or bad? Good. How good? Very good. Really, really good. So we just need to relax and to say, you know, the culture's looking for answers and just get comfortable saying, you know, wow, I really believe that I've discovered an answer for the needs of the culture and the needs of your life. And it's Jesus. The gospel is the Jesus story. The gospel is another, a, a, a few other things I don't want you to miss in this passage very quickly. The gospel is personal and urgent. The Apostle Paul says in verse 14, look, I have an obligation to share the gospel. I've got I to gotta share it with these smart, philosophical Greek people, but I also need to tell the barbarians, he's probably thinking of the Germanic barbarian tribes of the north and Pardon me if you're from Scandinavia, but you know, those Viking dudes and all these kind of you know, wild barbarian tribes, you know, you know, that's the bar my bar barbarian talk. But you know, the reality is whether you're a culturated, you know, highly cultured Greek or whether you are from the barbarian tribes of the north, whether you are a Jew uh, living a very moralistic, try to follow God's law, do everything right, or whether you are a loose living Roman, doesn't matter. Because no culture has the answer. Not even the Jewish culture, if they didn't understand Jesus. Because it's not about being more moral and being better. and It's not about being good enough. You can never be good enough to go to heaven. You can never be bad enough to go to hell. Because the reality is, apart from Christ, hell is our destiny. And in Christ, heaven is our promise. So it's all about the gospel. It's a personal thing. Everyone needs it. You don't know a single person that doesn't need Jesus Christ. 
The gospel is not just personal, it's powerful. Let me add that one. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is powerful. It gets the job done. The gospel, finally, he says, it is powerful for everyone who believes. And then he tags on this little line, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. For the righteous man shall live by faith. What's he mean by that? The gospel is powerful. The gospel is faith-driven from start to finish. You are saved by faith in Christ. You are sanctified and you grow and you're changed by faith in Christ, not yourself. Everything in the Christian life is always, here's my summary, by grace through faith based on the finished work of Christ. Period. So what's our response? Here's the deal. Our culture needs Jesus. It needs the gospel, the good news that there is forgiveness, there is freedom, and there is a future, and it's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. The solution's not in any debates on sexuality. The solution is not the church. The solution is not religion. The solution is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we as a church get comfortable communicating that, you can make a difference in this culture. I want to ask Pastor Ryan to join me for the second part of this message. And we're going to take uh, the next 15 minutes and do an open Q&A time. Some of you have already sent in some questions. So I've got my assistant page back on the uh, computer. And uh, this is unrehearsed. So uh, good luck. Here we go. Let's see if we can go through as many of these, Ryan, as possible. I brought Ryan up so that I can give him the hard ones. Okay, good. So let's do that. First question, Paige. What is God's perspective on feminism? Um, you want to try this one? I did it last service. Yeah. <laughs> Same question. Probably not yeah. very well, so why well, don't you I mean, try it? Well, I mean, again, this, this question uh, came up it depends on what your idea of feminism is, really. What the Bible does teach, though, is that men and women are equal. In the creation account in Genesis uh, chapter 1, it says God created male and female. The Hebrew is very clear that he creates us equal. Not one uh, sex should be elevated or worshipped above the other. That's not the biblical viewpoint. That's unbiblical. Yeah. Yeah. Do we have different roles? Absolutely. And uh, science would support that and show that men and women tend to look at things differently, have different strengths, but one is never to be um, pushed down or suppressed because they are male or female. Yeah. So in that um, I think that's God's perspective on it. Yeah. So if you're pro, if you're if you're saying, you know, is the script are the scriptures pro woman? The answer would be yes. I mean, women were attracted to Jesus. Uh, women locked into all kinds of stuff: prostitution, multiple husbands, etc. Being abused by men or by the culture, they flocked to Jesus. Uh, Jesus offers them value and uh, and tells us as men to hold them in as something precious. So, you know, if you're talking about a, a movement uh, called feminism in our culture, I would have a lot of trouble with some of that because it usually goes way beyond that. Next question. If the gospel is the shortened version of the whole Bible, uh, where does the Old Testament fit in? Well, i got an Old Testament scholar next to me. Can you do this one in 30 seconds, Ryan? Yeah. 30 seconds. Um, no, not in 30 seconds. <laughs> but 
give it a try. I mean, the gospel, the shortened version of it is simply because it's really the culmination of it. If you look at the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, it's just paving the way and telling the story of God's story of redemption. It had, didn't change when Christ entered the world. It just culminated. So the story has, it's right. essential to understand it. The Old Testament tells us and shows us the need for Christ and shows us that from the very beginning, yep. this was God's plan with the, the shedding of the blood of the first animal was symbolic and a foreshadow of what was to come. So uh, where does the Old Testament fit in? It, it tells the story. Yeah, it's, it's a, part of it. It's a great first chapters of the story of Jesus. Good. Next question. These are good. How would you encourage our younger generation just now entering adulthood? Do you think the church will go underground in their lifetime? Um, I, th- I think my encouragement to our younger generation is um, you are the ones who are going to have to carry the gospel to your generation and the generation behind you. And I think, I think my encouragement to you is embrace it. Don't fear it. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because I know it's the power of God to change a life. But you've got to be ready as, as a generation, unlike my generation probably, to live as the minority opinion in the culture. So you will probably suffer for what you believe. Uh, the ESPN analyst that I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, fortunately he didn't get fired, not yet. But I think there will soon be a time. I, I know cases where people in the public arena uh, have lost their jobs because of their stand for the morality they believe in. You've got to remember that your number one allegiance is to the kingdom of God, uh, to the kingdom of Christ. And, and you're going you're gonna to be, um, it's going to be an exciting time, but probably a dangerous time to be a Christian. So don't walk away from it in fear. Embrace it. Learn to understand what you believe. It's one reason why here at Seacoast, we're going to teach you the type of stuff we've been teaching you to help you. But will the church go underground? I don't know. Yes or no? What do you think, Ryan? I don't think so, but I, I wish it, it would become illegal because then we'd be real Christians. We'd have to decide what we believe. Yeah. I've always been an advocate for that. So, yeah. <laughs> But <laughs> I, I would really, you know, my one thing on the young people's this is, is, you know, be encouraged. You'll be fine, but be intelligent and seek out answers. Ask hard questions and don't be afraid of if you say, hey, this bugs me and I don't really understand it. God's not afraid of your questions, and he's not going, oh, they asked that. It's okay. No, and, right. and God's bigger than we are. But be intelligent and seek out yeah. truth, and, and don't be afraid of it. Good. Next question. Jesus didn't say anything against homosexuality. Does that mean he thinks it's okay? This is a great question. Yeah. So why didn't Jesus make this clear in his teaching? Uh, I mean... There's a couple answers there. One, Jesus supports, what Jesus does make clear is that the ways, uh, he showed what the ways of God were. And he supported, uh, let's just take the very basic moral code of the Old Testament of, of the Ten Commandments. He supported sexual morality, not immorality. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of things he didn't speak against. Yeah. He did speak against treating people well. He did speak against... Um, offering love and grace and forgiveness. I mean, not speak against it, speak for it. He did say that there is hope and redemption for everybody, no matter what. That's what came through in his life. But just because he didn't mention certain sins, he does support Scripture and affirm Scripture, and therefore, by 
um, default. Mm-hmm. He does support the teachings of Scripture. Right. He clearly affirms. Um, he clearly affirms the issue of men and women in marriage, for example. Um, I think the other thing you need to understand is when Jesus, uh, Jesus' public ministry was not in Rome or Greece. It was in it was in uh, Judea. So it was in it was in the heartland of Israel, and his audience uh, was virtually uh, a, a Jewish audience. And in the Jewish culture, homosexuality was not practiced and was, and was not even an issue uh, to be discussed. So, uh, you know, Jesus, in light of his audience, they're never asking that question. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why we don't have him directly addressing it. Maybe I can tag on just really quick. I know mm-hmm. I'm using up time. But I do think, though, we sometimes spend a lot of time focusing on really small issues when Jesus spent a lot of his teaching on greed, for example. And we, we like to say, well, we'll speak against the sins. We're very vocal about the things that maybe we don't struggle with as much. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, he looks at all sin separates us from God. And so sometimes we put more emphasis on certain sins than we should, too. Um, we need to talk about we want to be righteous before God because of what he does in us. So gotcha. I, don't anyway. want to, I don't want to talk about greed. Next question. <laughs> <clears throat> So where do babies come from? <laughs> well, bring that one back up. I mean, yeah. where do babies come from? That was a few weeks ago. You don't get to talk on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call somebody's bluff. <laughs> Here's why you need to understand this in our culture. Can I give you a 30-second answer? Uh, do you realize that the, that the soul does not get dropped into a baby at birth? Uh, God says that we are spiritual beings and we recreate after our own image, after the image of God. So men and women are created in the image of God. When you have a baby, um, that image of God is, is passed on at conception. Do you realize that? Some of you probably didn't know that. So from conception, you have life in, in, made in the image of God, which is why you need to protect it which is why the morning after pill is a bad idea in today's news this week. But if you think that the soul is dropped into a baby right when it comes out of the womb, then you don't, you got no problems uh, taking a life in the womb. Life is transmitted uh, between two creatures who are in the image of God when, when conception happens. So that is the answer. Uh, so I fooled you. There, I knew there was a theological... And if any of you don't know, there. ask your mom or dad later. Yeah, next, yeah, next question. So how do you respond to a man or woman who is living a gay lifestyle but proclaiming to be a, a genuine relationship with Christ? I would respond, uh, I'll, I'll take this, I, I would respond the same way I would if they're proclaiming to have a genuine relationship with Christ and they're, having, and they're living in heterosexual sin or, or, they're, or they're openly um, uh, lying or openly committing other sins. You know, you know, I think the thing is, when you claim to be a follower of Jesus, um, there is a sense in which none of us are without sin. We all sin. But when you are openly engaged in sin and not even struggling with it, I think you have reason to at least examine your heart and to say, okay, is Christ living in me or not? Have I really embraced the, the, the Christ of the Scriptures? Because he does call us to engage with him, at least in the struggle against our sin. So uh, if they're just openly living a gay lifestyle and saying, you know, I think Jesus is okay with this, um, 
I think they need to, they need to lovingly be confronted with truth. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, and I would say, I mean, that might relate to some people in here. I don't know. And if it does, it's a keep seeking after Christ, keep journeying, yeah. keep praying. If that's you, we, we welcome you here to ask those questions and to go, you know, to process through what the Bible really teaches. I'd say just keep seeking, just like all of us should, in our sins and not be comfortable and say, well, I know the Bible speaks about this, but I, that's not a big deal. There's worse people than me out there. I mean, we tend to say that about sins. So I'd yeah. say whatever your, your struggle is, we want you to keep journeying with us. Let's ask these yeah. questions and let's seek scripture and keep praying and say, God, we want you to change our hearts, whatever sin issue it is, whether it's the, the sin of homosexuality or anything else As that I, we justify. Yeah. yeah, keep in mind that a few weeks ago we taught about the fact that scripture, um, scripture clearly says that no matter how deep the roots of sin are, even if you felt like, well, this particular sin, I, I was born this way, even if you buy into that, um, what is moral is never determined. Here's the quote I gave you. What is moral is never determined by what is inside of man. Think about that. Because history tells us we're not moral. Okay? It's determined by something beyond man, outside of man, greater than man, which is our creator God. So don't be fooled into thinking that anything that's just a sinful pattern or temptation that you are, even if you're bo- born with it, we're all born with an inclination to sin. Great news of the gospel is Jesus wants to save us, but also change us. Next question. What happens if a pastor is gay? Can they still lead the church? What makes that sin any different from the one sins like anger, lying, or other inappropriate habits? Ah, this is why I have Ryan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is kind of a tough one. I, I think for me at least, a lot depends on what you mean by a pastor is gay. If you mean by that, that he's practicing a homosexual lifestyle, he should not be in ministry, should not be leading a church. If you mean by that, that he acknowledges this is a, a major struggle in his life and he is it, at times he, he, he sins and falls into it, and then, then he should not be in leadership. Uh, if you mean by that, that he acknowledges that he feels that this is his past, this was his orientation, but by God's grace and power, he's overcoming it and living in purity, then perhaps he could be. That would be my take. You want to, okay? Yeah, I think it's any sin issue is the same. I mean, we, we hold leadership in a higher standard, um, but temptation is not the sin of any of these things. It's yeah. what you do with, with the temptation. So, yeah, tough questions. They're getting yeah. harder. Okay, give me yeah. an easy one, Paige. Okay, yeah. Does God <laughs> want us to suffer to become saved? Um, thank you. <laughs> We're actually going to do a series on suffering and understanding the purpose behind pain in our lives. It's going to be a joyful series, though, okay? Uh, it's like the joy of pain, okay? Summer but, of pain yeah, coming, coming soon. Yeah, the yeah. summer of pain is coming soon, beginning in June. Short answer is no. Um, God hates suffering. And that, the reason I know that is he's going to create the new heaven and the new earth that we live in forever and ever, free of all suffering and pain and death. So God hates suffering so much he's going to totally obliterate it and do away with it. Now, does God use suffering to bring us to himself? Yes, often. Often pain and suffering gets our attention. It humbles us. It reminds us that we need God 
And in that sense, God can use it, but he hates it. You're right. Great. Next one. <laughs> well, we got time for one more. One more question. Wow, long question. Okay. My friend went to her high school reunion and renewed a relationship with her first boyfriend. She came home, told her husband she wanted a divorce. Uh, she identifies herself as a Christian. I felt compelled to caution her and shared as kindly as I could um, uh, the pain that this would bring to her family. This ended our friendship. What should I have done? I think you should have done exactly what you did. You should do it with a lot of grace, a lot of love, tenderness, compassion. But it is a kindness. Anytime you warn your friends that they're getting ready to make a decision that is passion-driven but is outside of God's will. Anytime you step away from God's design for life, pain happens. And that's why God warns us against it. This is a problem. I would piggyback on this and say this. I know a man who's done a lot of research on Facebook. And this is a major danger. I would say this. Never um, begin a Facebook friendship with old high school flames. Um, um, They have been, they are dangerous. They're very dangerous. All right, well, listen, we could go on and on and on. We will do this again. If you had questions in either service um, that you said, oh, I didn't get to my question, if you email Ryan your questions, he will answer all of them with long answers. Or you can email me and I'll give you the short answer. Like, He'll forward like, them to like, me. Stop it. Don't do that. Do that. Okay, anyway. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray together. Father God, as we turn our hearts back to engage you in worship, we thank you for grace. We thank you for the good news of the gospel. We thank you that we have good news to offer to our world. In the midst of its confusion, we thank you for truth. In the midst of its hopelessness, uh, we thank you that we offer help and hope uh, through Christ. Lord, help us to be good stewards of the gospel, to share it freely, to not be ashamed of it, but to go forth and help love our culture toward Jesus. That's my prayer. Father, even as we give now and as we listen to this new song and learn it, uh, let our gifts be overflowing expressions of our love for you. We give to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.